Amen. Well, we got the title of today's study is The Purpose and the Power of the Church. And certainly Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 are going to be part of it, but we'll, we'll be well into the study before we make it there. I've got a lot of other references. But I want to just take a, a moment to make an introduction, looking at kind of some of the things that we are facing. I know I'm stating the obvious, but I want to draw the parallel between the kinds of things that are going on in our country right now and the very similar types of things that the early church was dealing with on the day in which she began. They're not all this, exactly the same, but we can easily pick up on the parallels and some of the emotions and some of the feelings and some of the sentiments that were going on in that day. Of course, nobody needs to tell you that there is a virus called COVID-19 that has taken a lot of people's lives. And, you know, the estimates that we are given are 100,000. And you say, well, what if those numbers are accurate? Well, I'm not going to count, and neither are you. So there's about 100,000 people that have died. Unless I make the mistake of saying, well, that's not too many. Let's remember, Lynchburg would be empty if that many died. That's a lot of people. There's a lot of grieving families. There's a lot of people that are, um, went to eternity here in these last couple of months, as they do each and every day for various reasons, but this is the one that is before us. So we've seen a, around 100,000 people in our country die. We've seen some of our governmental leaders and you know, civil servants step forward, and many of them have done a great job in trying to help us work through this, and we've had people that are serving and ministering and putting themselves in harm's way so that we can have a doctors to go to, that we can have food to eat. And a lot of people have not just sheltered away, but they've actually been out and they're providing. And we can be thankful for that. We've had some governmental leaders. We've had some justices that have made some great decisions. And we've had some that haven't. We have other, as we look at this, we see some that are self-seeking at a time that just seems like it's the absolutely wrong time for you to be self-seeking. It's the absolutely wrong time for you to be pushing your agenda. Can't we just lay all that stuff aside? And yet for some, they just can't. And so then we're, we're left with hearing the, the reports and the science and the, the best practices. And now all of us are left in that place of like, who do I even, who do I believe? Do I believe this person or do I believe this expert? Do I believe your expert or do I believe her expert? And this is where we find ourselves. It's a frustrating place to be, whatever the truth is. It's a frustrating place to be. On the end of receiving information that you're wondering if it, it's actually coming honestly to us. And is there an agenda behind it? And I am of the opinion that there are some, not all, I won't even say most, but there are many that do have an agenda. You know, when the city of Chicago tells a church, if you meet again, we're going to come in, and I, one city official says, I have complete authority to destroy this church building and take it to the ground. That actually was said. And I'm, this is not just like, you know, uh, uh, you know, some kind of Facebook legend. This has actually happened and went before the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, they, it worked out in the end. They all kind of backed down. But these are the types of things that are going on. Last Sunday, a church was meeting in Chicago against the, the order that said they shouldn't. 
And I don't want to get into that whole debate, but they, they were there. And the police came banging on the doors to try and get in. Because it's in Chicago, they had a policy that doors are always locked after the church started, and they didn't feel inclined to open them for when they came. <laughs> but, on, I mean, you can have an opinion of why they shouldn't have met, or you should have an opinion that you know, we should be meeting, whatever it is. But that's happening in our day. Pastors are being arrested. There's all kinds of churches today in California, at least 3,000 that are going to be meeting for the first time since all of this began. Many of them are probably going to face some consequences for this. So, listen, it's a strange time. And then in the most recent, you know, we've watched over the last four or five days, the major cities of our country just begin to unravel. Minneapolis, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Los Angeles, Charlotte, Seattle, Cleveland, New York, Chicago. I mean, it goes on. A whole list of places where angry people, and angry for a reason, what happened to that uh, George Floyd shouldn't have happened. Whether he should have been arrested or not, I have no idea. But I guarantee you, and I tell you, he shouldn't have been lying handcuffed with a knee on his neck until he died. And if you watch that, it's hard. It's a hard thing to watch without getting welling up with tears, hearing people pleading for his life, and then to watch him die in that way. And that has sparked anger, which has caused a lot of other wrong things to take place in people's businesses being burnt down and people's vehicles being set on fire. People, um, listen, you, we see crowds out there, but I can guarantee you in each of these places there are multitudes that are sheltered in their homes, fearful that it's going to come into their neighborhood. They're not happy with what's happening. But we see an anger, and we see an anger that is, there can be a righteous anger, but then there's this, this violence. We see turbulence, we see turmoil, we see all of these things going on. Fear, anger, hurt, and rage boiling up in our country for various reasons. And yet this is the time that we're alive. This is the time that Jesus knew you would be here, and that I would be here, that we would be here as the church of Jesus Christ to have a voice does our country need to have our voice? Not me, Troy Warner, by myself and my thoughts and my opinions. No, it doesn't need that. There's plenty of those out there. But what it needs is my voice and your voice and our voice proclaiming the peace of Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel that will help people as they are fearful and afraid, as they're in a place of, of great need. They need to know the hope of Jesus Christ. This is our job. And it's our job right now. In a time when there's more chaos going on than any of us can remember for quite some time. So what does all of this mean? It means this. The church of Jesus Christ has an opportunity before her right now. For the first time in many months, churches are gathering. And I can I'm certain that most messages today are going to be talking about the beginning of the church on that day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago and the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on her and how we need that today afresh. 
how we need that today to do what the Lord has called us to do. Oh, I have two main points, and there's going to be some subpoints under them, but I want to talk about the purpose of the church and the power of the church. And that's the title, The Purpose and the Power of the Church. When the early church began, the world had just experienced the most egregious act that had ever taken place on planet Earth. They had taken the Son of God, God in the flesh, said, we don't like you, we don't like what you have to say, we don't like the things you do, and they nailed him to the cross, and they put him to death. It was a violent, proud, and self-willed time in the land of Israel, in that first century world. As the church began, followers of Jesus Christ were being arrested, they were being thrown into jail. They took matters into their own hands. We think of Stephen, without a trial, without a a proper fair court, they, they condemned him to death and they stoned him. Israel was under Roman occupation. I have no idea what that must have felt like by experience. I can imagine it. But to have people that were in your land saying, we were, we're in charge, we do what we want. It's by our rules. You can imagine the anger and the frustration that would have been underneath the surface at all times. The religious leaders, many of them, they were corrupt. You went to the temple and they were ripping you off. They were taking your money. They used you as a means to line their pockets or to push some agenda. People felt burdened. People felt under the thumb of religious leaders. They felt under the, the thumb of political leaders. There was racial tensions. Jesus addressed these things in the Gospels. Where he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan because of the racial tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. He, he, we have the whole story of him going to Samaria to meet with one woman at the well. And she quickly identified the tensions that existed between them. Racial tensions were hot. They were high. And it was at this time that the Lord said, I want to start a church. The Lord only started one organization when he was on planet Earth. And that was the church of Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord said, I want the church to speak up. And I want them to go out at a time when the world is like this. The church is meant to be the light of the world. The salt of the earth. And that's where she began. The church has, I want, and we can maybe like make a longer list, but let me go over four things. There are four purposes the church has at the beginning, and there's four purposes that the church has today. Number one was to go into the world and be a witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to redeem mankind. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The word witness there, I, you know, testifying of an experience of uh, understanding, but it's also a word that can be translated into English, martyr. I want you to be my martyrs. Jesus said, they've rejected me, they're going to reject you. They didn't like me. Don't be surprised when they don't like you. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to be my martyrs. I want you to be those. I'm going to send you out into the world. 
But you're going to begin in Jerusalem. And then you're going to go out to those other areas by you, Judea. And then you're going to go to Samaria. And you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And you're going to testify me. You're going to preach the gospel to the entire world. And the church did this. And they did it without the resources that, that are so common in churches today. They did it without money. They did it without a New Testament. They did it without a track. They did it without a printing press. They did it without planes. They did it without the internet. They did it without schools and seminaries and years of great discipleship programs. But what they had was a real experience with Jesus. They had the Word of God and the message you were supposed to preach and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But this is one of the purposes. In a time like this, when there's so much going on, and I'm sure there's other things I could have listed that are creating stress and strife in our country. But in times like this, we may look and say, well, we need to address this issue. We, we need to become more like this. or We need to become more politically active. You know, it's time for you to really speak out politically, Troy. Or it's time for you to really I mean, you jump on the social agenda issues. It's time for us to be what the Lord has always called us to be. It's time for us to do what the Lord has called us to do. And that is not necessarily in an order of importance, but certainly as a matter of priority is that we would preach the gospel. That to our, our beginning in our own town, beginning in our own country, that we would, we would come with the answer that Jesus Christ came and died upon the cross for your sins, and he rose three days later, that you might have life now and eternal life in the age to come. That's our message, and that's what we're called to preach. We need to be preaching it. They're, the world is not going to do this job for us. And if we wait for them to give us a nod and a wink and permission, I think we might be waiting a really long time. We preach because the creator of this world said, Go. I have authority, and I want you to go in my authority, and I want you to proclaim, and I want you to preach. So asking the question of, well, I don't know if they really want to hear, that's, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to preach and to let people know. And so this is a, one of our, our purposes. Our second purpose is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And that is that we would be a place, or have a place where we would come together, we would gather together, and that we would minister to one another, and that we would strengthen and watch us all come into spiritual maturity, and then take the giftings and the part that we have and walk it out to help the church become stronger and more mature. It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Let me read it. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to be working to look like Jesus Christ in the way we live. Verse 14, that we no longer will be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from the whole body, joined 
and knit together by what every joint. You are part of the every joint. I am part of the every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part. You are part of the every part. That every part does its share, causes growth for the body, of the body for the edifying of itself in love. One of the purposes of the church is that we would preach the gospel to the nations. A second purpose of the church is that we would gather together and we would minister to each other. That we would receive the ministry that comes through gifted men within the church and that what every man and woman provides when we gather together. That we would grow and that we, our character would be changed, that our attitudes would be changed, that we look and act and speak and think more like Jesus. And so we have this task still in front of us. <laughs> I, this is why I can just tell you as, as, as a pastor, and I know you felt it, you've, you all have expressed it. There's such concern. Now we've been able to, I mean, praise the Lord for the resources that we have, the team we've had, the people that have stepped up to allow us to do the things that we have done. We've had a lot of ways to, to, to have service, okay? Not every church is blessed with a radio station. We've, we've been blessed with that. To be a, you know, If you want to hear, you can hear. We've been, a, been blessed with the live streams. Oh, we've had our technical difficulties for sure. But we have these things. And we've been able to do these, you know, have a location where we can have a a service like this where we did the drive-in. I mean, we've, we've done everything that we know we can do. But some churches have just flat out not met. They haven't had this access. They don't have these resources. And, and this is the thing that I want us to be warned against is that we wouldn't look and say, well, we've, we've done okay. When you say we, who's we? Calvary Chapel Lynchburg? Okay, well, good. I mean, that, that's a good thing. But we is a lot bigger than Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. We is the churches that are around the globe. Some of which they have, they've not met and they have no way to meet or to communicate. And this is what burdens your pastor. And, you know, I'm not concerned. I mean, look, we can look and say, well, look at all the people here. That's great. But, but here's the, the newsflash. About a third of the church has been present is present today, about a third of the church of Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. So two-thirds are meeting some other way that we can't see. So I'm sure it's more than a third. But I'm concerned about the ones, we don't even know their names because they really hadn't got plugged in yet. They were kind of on the edge. I'm worried about those that are really having a difficult time. Then we don't know they're having a difficult time. And, and so the church has a job to minister to one another. And, and so it's been a strange season, and we've, we've done our best, and you are the judge of whether we've done a good job with it or not. And trying to come together, respect the government that's been put over us, and at the same time, fulfill the purpose that we have. And this is the challenge, and this has been the struggle. I'm sure many of you would say, it's been all right. You should have done it this way, though. Some of you would say, no, it's been good. Well, I don't know. When it's all said and done, I might not like the way I did it either. Who knows, okay? We'll just wait and see. But we are seeking the Lord and we are praying and we're doing the best we can. You can have this assurance that when we're getting together as leadership, there's unity and there's love 
and we're asking and we're, we're talking through the options and we're presenting different options and we're pushing back and challenging all the different ideas. But we need to gather together. Church is not a building. Yeah, I got that one. Here we are, we're outside. Got that news flash loud and clear. Prayer will be on Zoom tonight. I'm aware of that. It's not a building. But it is a gathering. It is a gathering. And, and we have to gather somewhere. So we've typically in the West have met in, in buildings, not parking lots. But it's working out. It'll be all right. But we, but we are to gather that this might happen. This is a purpose. This is not my idea. This is not your idea. This isn't just what churches do. God in heaven said, I want you to come together. And I want you to use your giftings. And I want you to minister and edify. Listen. In short order, praise the Lord, we will gather back together. Now, we have always had a lot of people that have served. But, but the vibe that we're getting and the feel that we're getting is that a lot of people are not planning on serving again for one reason or another. So what are we going to do? How are we going to, to walk through this? And this is what I hope. That those of you that maybe have been on the sidelines and, and, and yet you're gifted and you know your part, you know how you can minister, that you would step forward when there are those who maybe are just, they're afraid to come and to be around people. Listen, we need to minister to that in an appropriate time, in an appropriate way, if it becomes a kind of a besetting uh, trial in their life, we'll have to minister to that. But those of you that are on the edge, you need to step forward. Some of you are like, I don't, you know, those of you that are like, we should have never stopped, then you're the ones that really ought to step forward. I'm being attacked by a bee. I knew I shouldn't have used that hair gel. So. He didn't like the point, but. Uh, hey, you're the ones that got to step up. You like that? I, I maintain my concentration. You're the ones that got to step up. You got to serve. Some of you maybe say, well, I don't like the, the way you did it. Listen, I just, I respect your difference of opinion. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and try and convince you that I was right, we were right, and you were, you were wrong. I'm just going to say, don't let your opinion keep you from doing what is a clear purpose of the church and a mandate from heaven. Let's have our disagreements. And we can work through that. But we, we have to do this. This is our purpose, is that we edify. Each one of us does our part. Third purpose of the church is found in John 13, verses 34 through 35. It's not as clearly stated there, but it's a clear commandment. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. The, the, the church should be a place where love is clearly seen. And that that love is seen as something that's a different kind of love. What kind of love? Not just a, oh, you, you're, you're a loving group of people. But to say, wait a minute. Your love is like Jesus' love. It's a, it's, it's, it's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that pours out. It's a, a love that doesn't think of its own interests. It's a love that esteems others better than themselves. 
It's a love that's willing to, to put yourself out and to be without and to make a sacrifice. We are to love each other. Another reason why not being able to gather together makes it pretty hard to do that because we, we love by interacting with each other and knowing each other. And I pray that these purposes can just stand out as being what we should be spending our effort and our energy on. I listed a whole lot of other things that are going on in our country, but here's what the Word of God says. Fourthly, the church is to be a place where divisions are pulled down. If I was to ask you this question, why did Jesus go to the cross? Most of you would give a correct answer, 100% correct answer, and say, to atone for our sins. And that would be a correct answer. But that is not a complete answer. That's not a complete answer. That's a correct answer, but there's more to it than just that. And I would ask you to turn over to Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, where you can see it so clearly. It'll be stated clearly that there was another purpose that Jesus went to the cross. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. What's that? In Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, he prayed that we would be one as he and the, as he and the Father were one. And then he went to the cross and just a few short hours later, to make us one, to make Jew and Gentile one, to cause people that are divided to come together as one. I mean, we, we see the tension and the, the, um, the, the racial divide that exists in our country. It's like, well, what's the answer? Ah, it's always been there. It's going to be there. No, that's not the answer. The answer is the cross of Jesus Christ that makes people on opposite ends of the spectrum that don't naturally have an inclination to be together to be one he made the jew and the gentile one he abolished the ordinances namely if you will he abolished the dietary laws that become so clear with cornelius and uh, peter seeing that great sheet that came down from heaven that said rise kill and eat peter if you read in leviticus the dietary laws were to make a distinction between the nation of israel and the Gentile nations. They were to stand out in that way. But then the Lord said, rise, kill, and eat. Those things which I have called clean, do not call unclean. And he brought the church together. And we see it here in Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. He brought us together. And those things that really caused division, which wouldn't even allow a, a Jew to sit down and have a meal with the Gentile, those things were abolished because he wanted them to be brought together as one. Jesus died on the cross that there might be unity. Listen, I, I know none of us would ever want to argue or fight against the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. To be found in that place that you're uh, pushing back against that or you're um, uh, trying to undermine that. We're like, absolutely not. 
People need to be saved. They need to be atoned for. But how about unity? Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but he also died on the cross that we might have unity, no matter how different we are. As a matter of fact, when the Lord sent out his, began the church, there are three events that took place that are quite significant. In Acts chapter 2, 120 Jewish followers of Jesus were meeting in an upper room, and the Holy Spirit came. Uh, they spoke with uh, uh, tongues that they had not learned in other languages, and there was, a, there was just an incredible uh, experience, a sound of a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire over their head. They knew something had happened. Acts chapter 2, 120 Jewish believers. But a little while later, as they continued to preach the gospel, the gospel came in, the, in, in Samaria. The town was coming to faith. They had been baptized. They had believed in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John came down, and as Peter and John came down there in Acts chapter 8, they laid hands on those uh, new believers, and the power of the Spirit came upon them in some discernible, obvious way, which was a way to say, and the Samaritans. Yes, the Jews, 120, gathered in the upper room. My Spirit's come upon you. But then in Acts chapter 8, that, that ethnic people where there was so much bitterness and um, division between, the Lord poured out his spirit upon them in such a way that it was obvious to Peter and John and all believers. It's like, wow. They had the same thing happen to us that happened, uh, happened to them that happened to us. And they saw that the Samaritans were welcome. And then a little while later in Acts chapter 10, verse 11, and I already alluded to it, Peter goes up to Cornelius' house, a Roman centurion. Not just a local that you, uh, ethnic group around you that you had a difference of opinion, but now we're talking about people from a far distance that were occupying Gentiles. And while Peter preaches to them, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they begin to speak with other tongues and prophesy. Again, the Lord's like, and the Gentiles too. I'm putting my stamp of approval on all people, all nations. I'm bringing you together as one people. There's a unity. Jesus hung and died on the cross for our sins, but also to make us one. And he wants us to walk in love. Do we have an opportunity as the church of Jesus Christ in our country to speak into the issues of the problem of, of, of race and division? Yes, we do. And it's the cross. And it's us loving one another. It's us preferring one another. This is so important for us to see that the gospel is relevant to the issues that are facing our country. And so Peter was called on the carpet in Acts chapter 11 and said, what in the world were you doing going into the house of a Gentile and having dinner with him? And he did. He got the message after the third time when he said, rise, kill, and eat. When he went to the house of Cornelius, he not only saw the Holy Spirit uh, fall upon him and saw them come to saving faith, but then he shared a meal with them. He said, hey, what was I supposed to do? I didn't do it. The Holy Spirit did. I didn't even lay my hands on him. It happened before I said amen. They'd already believed and they'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I concluded, if the Lord has accepted them, who am I to reject them? 
And this is the attitude that we should have towards the church of Jesus Christ. It is broad and it should be diverse. And we need to pray for that. We could stand for a lot more diversity, okay? We could stand for a lot of, of different cultures and background and skin color. We, there's plenty of room for that. And I, I believe that we would accept it. And if you wouldn't accept it or that would be a problem to you, then you've got a problem. And it, the, the answer is repent. Well, I'm just not good with other races. Newsflash, there's only one race. It's the human race. We have our differences of the way we look, the way we talk, our languages, our culture, our likes, our dislikes, the foods we eat, and all the rest. But this is what we have in common. We are all saved by Jesus Christ, and he prayed that we'd be one, and he went and he died on the cross that we would be one. So this is the purpose of the church, is to walk in unity. And we need to do that. I think as we look at this and we talk about going out and fulfilling the purpose of uh, world missions, as we talk about walking in love, as we talk about being a church where we're coming together and being edified, as we talk about walking in unity with each other, that we can see challenges like how in the world are we going to do this? Well, that's where we're going to end our message. I said that the, the title of the message was The Purpose and the Power of the Church. The Lord sent the church out in desperate times, but he told them to make sure that they waited in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. If you're in Acts chapter 2, you make your way over there. We see that it was the day of Pentecost in verse 1. It was a harvest festival, a time when they were celebrating the wheat harvest. Traditionally, it's the day in which the law was given to Israel. But here it's the day in which the Lord is pouring out his grace upon the church and his power upon the church and beginning. This is the church's birthday, Acts chapter 2. And the Lord begins that work. In verse 2 through 4, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, this caused quite a confusion in the crowd. And like, what is this? Are these people drunk? Which is probably the lamest attempt at trying to figure it out. Wait, they're speaking in, in known languages and you think that they're doing this as people who don't know the language because they got drunk? No, people slur their speech and become you know, unintelligible when they get drunk. They don't become, you know, fluent in multiple languages. But this was mocking them. And Peter answers, he says, no, 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 no. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke, that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Young men, young women, old men, old women. They'll have power, they'll prophesy, they'll have dreams, they'll have visions. And Peter says, that's what happened. And Joel went on to say that this would take place in the last days. Well, as Peter continued to preach the gospel, he presented that Jesus Christ died for them. And what we end up reading is that as he gave response, a great multitude put their faith and trust in the Lord. 3,000 were added to the church in one day. It was 120, and at the end of the day, 
It was more than, it was 3,000 men ratted to the church. You know, we, we make big deal over mega church sometimes. Well, I'm not into mega church. Well, you got a biblical problem here then, don't you? I'm not into small churches. Well, there's all kinds of small churches. You know what kind of church is important? It's a church that's fulfilling the purpose that she's been given and doing it with the power of the Holy Spirit, whether it's big or small, large or mega. That's, that's the Lord's business. What matters is are we doing it the way he's told us to do it? 3,000 were added. They did this with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter was afraid when a servant girl asked him on the night of Jesus' arrest, don't you follow Jesus? He denied that he even knew the Lord. He was so afraid. Three times he denied the Lord. And now here he is standing up on a jam-packed city of Jerusalem, a feast time celebration, and he preaches to everybody who could hear him. What changed? Why did you know, fearful Peter become bold Peter? Because the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was filled with the Spirit. And now instead of fear, there was boldness. And this is what we need. We don't need to be fearful. We need to be bold. And I'm not talking about just being bold in your personality. I'm talking about the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. And I close here in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John were arrested. They were warned to never, ever preach in the name of Jesus Christ. They go back to their meeting uh, in verse 23, and they begin to hold a, a prayer meeting. And as they think of the threat, we pick up in verse 29, and he says, Now, Lord, look, upon, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Wait a minute, that already happened. Acts chapter 2. That already happened once. Why is it, I mean, we don't, how many times do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Evidently, at least twice. Every time we venture into ministry, any time we go to love, any time we go to walk in unity, any time we go to preach the gospel, any time we do our part in the church, we need to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. One person, I forget exactly who said it, but made this comment that if the power of the Holy Spirit was removed from the early church, there, everything would have come to a screeching halt. Only a few things would have continued. But the fear that they have today is that the power of the Holy Spirit was removed. Only a few things would come to a halt and everything else would continue on business as usual. That's concerning, isn't it, to even contemplate? What would happen if the power of the Holy Spirit was removed from the church that we're a part of locally here? Would we notice a difference? Would we feel it? Would we sense it? I hope that we would. But I tell you what I do know for a fact. And that is, we have those moments when we get saved and we come to the Lord, where we are brought into the family of God and the Lord touches our life and he gives us power. But we need to continue to experience it just like they did in Acts chapter 4. I've never been able to understand, and it's not that I haven't read it, 
Well, I believe that, you know, there's only one feeling. Really? You believe that there's only one feeling? I, people are only saved once. I got that. People are only filled with the Spirit once. I got that. But how many times are people filled with the Holy Spirit? Again, at least twice. But as you go through the book of Acts, every time they stepped out, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they turned the world upside down without money, without buildings, without seminaries, without education plans, without the four spiritual laws track, without a New Testament. Because the power of the Spirit of God was upon people that were committed to the purpose of the church and their existence. And because they took the message and the Lord was adding to the church those that were being saved. It's my prayer, not just for us, but for every church in this city, in this region, in this state, and throughout this country, throughout this world, is that on this day where we remember and celebrate the beginning of the church, and as a church kind of begins again, if you will, in her gathering, not in her you know, establishment, but just in her regathering, that we be filled again to address the issues that were like the issues in the first century world, that you would have had to have been intimidated by those issues. An occupying power, governmental leaders that were corrupt, religious leaders that were corrupt, racial tension, you know, uncertainty of times and money and resources. That sounds kind of like our day, doesn't it? And Jesus is still the answer. And I know that you know that, but if you don't, I pray that you'll come to Jesus Christ today and you'll receive him into your life and find the fulfillment and the wholeness that he'll bring to you and he will cleanse you of your sins, all of your sins, even the bad ones, even the ones that you don't want anybody else to know about. He will cleanse you of those. He died on the cross for it. But then we as a church, we got to re-engage and we're walking this out slowly, but I would ask that you would as much as you have freedom that you would engage with every one of those steps now that's not manipulation if you're at home today and you're just like I'm just not I can't get out yet we want you right where you are and when you come back we will celebrate that you're back and that it is an opportunity for you to be but listen let's fulfill our purpose let's fulfill our purpose and not, let's not allow these little things that we're dealing with right now to divide us. It's just, they're not worth it. Because Jesus died on the cross that we might be one. We can't let these things divide us. We've got a mission in front of us. You know, there is a danger that we could look and say, well, we've done okay. Yeah, okay, we, like as in who? Your family's done Okay. As in, like, Calvary Chapel Lynchburg has done okay because we've, we have, a, you know, a staff of people that, are, you know, have that, you know, technical aptitude and we've got all these resources. We can buy the equipment that's needed to use the media. We just happen to have a radio station and so you haven't, hasn't felt like, okay, that's great. But what about those that don't have any of those things? What about world missions that's come to a screeching halt? Hey, I mean, th that should concern each and every one of us. The, you know, there's missionaries that have come home. There's a lot of missionaries that have stayed, but very few, if any, missionaries have gone. Hey, we're going to have to make up for the time that's been lost. And some of you need to answer that call to go be a missionary. 
You, you know the word of God. You're gifted. You have a burden for it. And you just got to go. And we'll help you go. We'll be glad to get rid of you in the name of Jesus. I was told early on that your church can either look like a pond that collects or it can be like a river that allows things to pass through. I want to be a river. We don't need any stagnation here. You know, we need to get rid of as many of you as we can in the name of Jesus to go to the work of the Lord as fast as we possibly can. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need it now. We need it today. You need it in your, with your neighbors. I mean, if the, there is such an opportunity to say to people, hey, what do you think is going on? What do you think about what's going on? What, what about, you know, all these, you know, protests and then the riots that took place? What do you think about all this stuff? And, and, and then get their opinion. Hear what they have to say. Say, you know, you know what we need? We need Jesus Christ to come and make us one. We need the love that he has to be in our hearts for each other. We have opportunity to speak, and we are supposed to speak. There's all kinds of social agendas that are out there, and I think when we effectively do these four things, the Lord will lead us to address those other issues, and we won't be lagging behind on that either. But this is what we're supposed to be about. This is the purpose. How can we do it at a time like this? The power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to do an altar call, and I'm going to ask you right where you are to stand if you know that you need an Acts chapter 2, a first-time feeling, or maybe it's like, yeah, I need the uh, Acts chapter 4 feeling. I, I have ministry in front of me. I have people I know that don't know the Lord. I have family members I need to share with. I have ministry that I need to do. I need the power of the Holy Spirit upon my life. And um, I'm standing first, so sorry. Let's pray. If you feel like you need that touch of the Spirit upon your life, stand to your feet. As people stand up, you don't have to feel the obligation to do it because everybody else says, this is what I'd say. If you believe in the purpose of the church and you're willing to commit to it, then you need the power of the Spirit. Father, we come before you and we say, fall afresh upon us. Lord, we thank you that you have protected the church. And Lord, we know that these types of things, they serve as a challenge and as a test and as a trial, but we know that nothing can prevail against your church and that your church will accomplish all that you have desired for her to accomplish. But it's our prayer right now that, Lord, as it's so clearly in front of us through your word, what our purpose is of loving one another and walking in unity and being useful in the growth of the church and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us afresh with the power of your spirit. Lord, as we stand, we say, we don't have what it takes on our own. We need you, Lord. We need you to speak to our wayward children, to have the right words. We need you, Lord to speak in a world that's going crazy right now. Lord, we pray that you would save and that you would use us. We stand like Isaiah and say, Lord, here we are. Send us. Send us to those places. While we're just in this attitude of prayer, you'd be praying for yourself, be praying for the church. 
But maybe some of you just need to also, as you're standing, you just need to say, all right, Lord, I'll go. If the Lord is calling you to go, then go. If he's not calling you to go, then stay and help somebody go. But if you sense that call of God on your life to go, man, we need to gear up. We need to get ready. Because when things open back up, we need to like start filling up the planes with missionaries, not businessmen, that will go out. But we begin in Jerusalem. We begin in Lynchburg, in Bedford, and Forest, and Central Virginia. We'll begin right here. Lord, all we would ask is that you would have mercy upon our country. We don't deserve a revival. We don't deserve to see people coming to faith. Lord, we have sinned against you. But Lord, you know that we need you. And we ask that you'd be merciful and that you would fall again upon the churches throughout this country. The things that hinder, the things that block, the self-will, the pride, the arrogance, the lust, the materialism, the laziness, the fear that keeps us from doing what you've called us to do. Lord, we pray that you would just cleanse us, you would wash us, you would purge us, clean with the blood of your son. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.